What's going on, guys? Once again, it's JT Silvers here along with my co-host, Brandon Merrick. We're bringing you one heater of an episode today. But before we get to the exciting part, uh, Brandon, how have you been since the last episode? Oh, you know, um, not too bad, man. Been pushing the training pretty hard this week. Um, actually hit some heavy powers, so huge PR and power clean, which was great, 285, when my best clean and jerk is only 295, so... You know, um, it's a big number for me. Um, doing some new things with my jerks when I'm having a little bit of pain. I'm actually jerking with my left foot out in front now instead of my right. So, you know, training's been going well. Um, I've been stoked for this entire week or this for this day, the entire week. You know, not only are we having a great podcast, but it's basically a national holiday. So um, how are you doing, man? You know, uh, I had one heck of a training week as well. I kind of dialed things back during the week and then just got after it yesterday and snatched PR um, and hit my all-time best on clean and jerk as well. And I sent you that clip that I, I made an attempt on, like, way heavier on snatch PR as well and almost got it up and over, but chickened out at the last second. Uh, but, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And it sounds like, man, you're you're – you're making some good progress. You're, you're hitting the, the stepping stones you need to be hitting. So that's good to hear. Yeah, man, dude, that snatch looked so close. I wish you would have just had a little bit more turnover. It would have been great. Sometimes like, you just don't catch it. <laughs> <laughs> it looked a lot smoother um, than when you were with me and Lucas, but dude, it is, it was really good. Keep working at it. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I will be doing that. Uh, so, Here's the exciting part of the episode. Uh, today, we're bringing on our first get, uh, guest onto the show. Uh, we've known this guy for a long time, former multi-sport athlete, extremely intelligent in the field of exercise science, and it's it's just an absolute honor to be able to bring him on the show today. We have the infamous, infamous River Van Zant. River, how's life been treating you as of late? Um, <laughs> doing well, uh, guys. I'm happy to join Happy Super Bowl uh, Sunday. Um, Apologies uh, in advance if there's any background noise with the uh, recording. I am uh, housing an infant child in the form of a puppy, so um, I'm not holding anyone captive or, or I have not kidnapped anyone uh, just yet. So uh, if you hear anything, then apologies for that because he's getting a little restless. But yeah, no, I'm doing well. I'm glad to be on uh, with the two of you. Uh, there were no PRs set here in Athens. I think I managed a personal best of like six hours of sleep this week. So I'll take that as a win. You guys can have your PRs. Um, yeah, no, frequent podcast consumer of all things sports, sports related. But this is the first time I've ever been on to actually uh, create or, or add content to a podcast. So I'm excited and um Let's get going. Yeah, man, it's definitely great to hear from you again. And as JT said, it's definitely an honor to have you on our show as our first guest. And uh, thank you for taking time out of, you know, obviously your busy schedule. As you said, six hours of sleep. That's a that's a good thing to shoot for, especially with your <laughs> schedule. So um, <laughs> I'd love it if you could, you know, vaguely tell our listeners about yourself and some of your current pursuits because I'm sure we'll delve a little bit deeper into your current position in greater detail here in a moment. Yeah. So as <clears throat> JT touched on, 
uh, in his introduction that for, for what it's worth, like way too much praise and hype for, for this point in my academic and professional career, but it's much appreciated. But yeah, uh, so I played uh, multiple sports growing up just throughout high school, football, baseball, basketball. And I was also fortunate enough to be a preferred walk-on uh, and play baseball at the University of Southern Indiana. Uh, for those of you that are in the audience that are unaware of USI, uh, it's a Division II school in Evansville, Indiana that uh, masquerades as a division two school, but a lot of their programs could probably compete at the lower level division one, uh, which is just a testament to the programs that they've built there. Mainly, I mean, their baseball program is top notch and it's a testament to coach Archuleta, coach Keister, all those involved over the years. Um, but I, I almost did myself a disservice by going there and trying to play baseball. Um, Cause I found out that on the whole, student athlete uh, perspective or spectrum at the division two level, I was much better at the student thing than I was uh, the athlete thing. So after a couple of years, I hung it up, I uh, decided to focus mainly on the uh, academic pursuits that I was going after there at USI. I graduated with a bachelor's in exercise science with a focus in strength and conditioning and a minor in nutrition. And also in my time there, I was able to obtain my um, uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist certification through DNSCA or CSCS. I think right before my uh, senior year there at USI. Post-graduation, uh, I served as, I don't know what, I probably never even decided on a title there, but it's kind of a volunteer sports performance assistant or consultant with USI Athletics through Coach Josh Wildeman. Uh, he is the head strength coach there at USI, and he also teaches classes in the kinesiology department. But a lot of my work was primarily with uh, USI women's softball and did a little bit of data analysis for women's volleyball, women's soccer, and kind of dabbled in a lot of sports uh, while I was there. Um, also in that time, post-graduation, I served as a volunteer research assistant for uh, USI kinesiology under the direction of Dr. Jason Langley. Um, worked on a few different projects that were going on with the department. Uh, but the, the main one was a thesis type project that I started on prior to graduation there at USI and finished post-graduation, um, which fortunately led to a research abstract presentation that I gave at the 2017 NSCA National Conference in Las Vegas. Uh, it was a pretty uh, basic study, but it was pretty far reaching in the field because it, it highlighted some of the hiring practices for division two strength coaches and some of the demographic information along with it. Um, and for any young professional that might be uh, listening to this, or maybe somebody that's wanting to get started in this field, uh, I know that you know COVID dictates that we can't really have national conferences right now. But one day uh, we will, if you ever get the chance to attend one of those. It is was incredibly beneficial for me and will be for you as well, um, just to kind of go and mix with young and veteran professionals in the field of exercise science and training and conditioning. Uh, and for me, it was a perfect excuse to go to Las Vegas for four or five days. So I'll take um, what I can get there. Uh, so while I was working there, I guess as a volunteer role with both athletics and, and academics there at USI, I was taking my time to figure out what the best fit for me was from an academic perspective to pursue a graduate degree. I just wanted to find the right location, the right program, all those things you should consider. Um, Looked at a bunch of different schools, applied to a lot of different schools. Fortunately, I was uh, accepted into a lot and, and awarded an assistantship for uh, quite a few. And it came down to really a handful. And finally, I think kind of late in 2018, maybe December-ish, I got a call from my uh, graduate program coordinator here at the University of Georgia, uh, who is also my PhD advisor and Dr. Michael Schmidt, very impressive and intelligent individual in himself. 
Uh, he informed me that there was a position that opened up in his lab. Uh, one of the PhD students that he had prior uh, dropped to part-time status. So he said, hey, if you, you had indicated that the PhD might be in your future, so if you wanted to go ahead and get started on it and bypass your master's, um, you're more than welcome. You can come down and officially interview for it, but we're uh, offering you the position if you want it. So um, got started here at UGA. I mean, that made it pretty easy for me. That was the right decision uh, to come down here to Athens. Came down here, uh, started in the fall of 2019, uh, working on my PhD in exercise physiology uh, with a focus in sports performance and a research emphasis on different stress-related influences on athletic performance and different ways in which wearable technology can quantify internal and external training load of various metabolic demands of exercise uh, or sport. So um, that was kind of long-winded, but the, the coolest thing that I've been able to be a part of so far here at UGA actually just developed recently. Um, I reached out through a contact of mine in the athletic department, uh, the Olympic sports strength training department to be more specific and just reached out and said, Hey, you know, is there any, uh, uh, stress monitoring that's going on with any wearable technology there? If so, or is there any way that I could just come and observe or maybe kind of be a fly on the wall with that process? And I got in contact with one of the head strength coaches here for women's basketball and women's gymnastics. His name is coach uh, Josh Rucci. Um, he had a particular interest in using what's known as heart rate variability for monitoring the stress load of his athletes there at UGA, but he doesn't have the technology uh, and due to budget constraints due to COVID, he can't really purchase the technology right now to monitor heart rate variability uh, with his athletes. But fortunately for me, uh, Ira Lab has procured and obtained the specific devices that can't measure heart rate variability. So this mutual connection relationship between myself and Coach Rucci was forged by the fact that I have the tools to measure what he wants to measure when it comes to the stress load of his athletes. And he has the population that I've always wanted to work with. Um, so it's kind of a collaborative effort. Uh, right now, I think in the short term, I mainly just help out with some of their in-season uh, training, so in the weight room and a little bit with practice um, and helping with some of the technology that they do have. And long-term, uh, I'll kind of be coordinating and helping to figure out the logistics of putting together a stress, stress load management um, program through him with his sports teams there with some of the devices that we're going to have for our lab. So that was incredibly long-winded as far as uh, background goes. So all of you that are hopefully listening to this podcast, you can collect as we uh, wake up because I promise you that'll be more than I'll ever talk to about myself either in person or in podcast. So let's move on to more maybe interesting things. Well, River, thank you for, for doing that. Um, and, uh, it helps our audience to have a little bit of background about you so that you know you're not just some random guy we brought on here who has the voice for radio uh and then we'll move on like you said um i i really am interested uh what what sparked your interest in this field of exercise science because for me it was an innate want to know and understand more about sport uh and i think you and I both, we, we're, you know, the guys who want to know more about sports history and, and the strategy of the game while we were playing together in high school. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious what what maybe was that defining moment where you decided that this was the career you wanted to follow? Yeah, well, well two things stand out. Um, 
kind of immediately when that when that question is posed. Uh, the first is this: you know, we we kind of discussed both our, our history with uh, playing sports before and and being involved in competition. Um, I don't want to say that I'm the most competitive person that you're ever going to meet, but I'm, as the kids would say, I'm in the top two and it ain't two. Okay. So that, the need to feel uh, and be involved in a competitive environment has always been something that I, I, I cling to. It's something that I've always wanted. And, you know, you know, no longer being able to compete in athletics myself, the proximity to competition that you can get by being involved with either strength and conditioning or sports performance. It's the closest thing that I'm going to be able to get. And now I've only been involved with UGA athletics for a month and a half, maybe uh, if that, and I live and die with every possession and every routine, every, every basketball possession and every gym routine. I I am just as invested as, as somebody who's been around the program for a long time. So um, that, and, and the fact that, you know, I've always, uh, embraced and welcomed uh, slights from anyone. You know, I, I, I want you to doubt me, whether from an athletic perspective and intelligence perspective, I thrive when people maybe try to make me feel or, or imply that I'm not good enough or not smart enough. So it's that drive to consistently prove those people wrong because you're really just kind of giving me the fuel that I need to, to do so. And if you have, uh, congratulations, because you've just guaranteed that I'm going to spend every waking moment that I have to prove you wrong and to make you look incredibly stupid. So it's that personality, right? Probably mixed with the blend of um, <clears throat> perfectionism, right? That, that, that leads me to want to pursue this, this career. And I think uh, the reason why that personality maybe lends itself to a profession in sports science is uh, as a strength and conditioning coach or as a sports scientist, we are constantly seeking perfection when it comes to our athletes. We are trying to, make them as fast, as strong, as powerful, as injury resilient as we possibly can. We are pushing them to their genetic ceiling. And then when we get there, we're trying to find innovative ways to push them even further. So we are perfectionists in and of itself. Um, so that, that personality, like I said, it, it just like fits like a glove. Like that, that is exactly what I should be doing. Um, the second thing is I was fortunate to have incredible mentors while I was studying my undergraduate at the University of Southern Indiana. I mentioned Coach Joshua Wilderman before. He's the head strength coach there, but he also teaches kinesiology classes. Um, I don't remember what grade I was in or how far along I was with my degree, uh, but he pulled me out of class one day. He said, listen, man, or I wasn't a man, probably listen, kid. Um, I don't know what your long-term goals are, as far as your academic pursuits go, but you were, you'll be doing yourself a disservice and you'll be doing the field a disservice to not pursue a graduate degree and potentially a PhD. Um, and at the time I was probably just set on maybe being a strength coach, kind of pursuing, you know, being in the weight room with athletes, which is a phenomenal career in itself, but it, I was limiting myself to the opportunities that I might have. And it kind of opened my eyes. Okay. Uh, you've pigeonholed yourself as this when in reality, there are other options that maybe better suit you. Um, so that experience with Coach Wildeman and then <clears throat> my time with Dr. Jason Langley working as a research assistant, I can't tell you how many times I would go up and just sit in his office and talk for hours on end about projects that he had in mind or that he's working on and projects that I would like to work on. His experience with grad school and then hopefully my experience with grad school, I learned more in that time probably after I graduated working with the two of them 
than I ever did in a classroom at USI. And that's not because the program itself was phenomenal as an undergraduate. It was that that's how invaluable that experience was for me with them. And there's simply no way uh, I am where I am today doing what I'm doing today without the influence of those two. So I owe them a lot. I think that's a really great answer. Um, and, and I really like to think of the way we give back to sports as kind of paying back all that sports gave to us, uh, you know, in, in youth and developing all the friendships that we got because of sport and the opportunities uh, that the three of us all had uh, to go on and play our respective sport at the college level and then get invested in the academic side of it as well. Um, uh, so River, what kind of training do you do now? Uh, Brandon and I both were pretty invested in Olympic weightlifting. Um, and then we talk about that a lot on the show. So hopefully you can break us off away from that for a little bit. Yeah. Well, uh, so I, I guess there's a couple things, um, that, that might, uh, might differ. Honestly, like guys, like I, I'm to the age now and I know we're all similar demographics as far as age and training experience goes, but really, I just, I just want to find the training that, that allows me to get out of bed in the least amount of pain uh, the next day. Uh, and for me, uh, it, it's pretty much just a standard resistance training program at a frequency, maybe four to five times per week, focusing on your compound multi-joint movements or focusing on quality of movement over quantity. I've accepted at this point, I'm 25, like I'm never going to be the strongest guy. Right. And that's cool. Like you just accept that that's your limitation. So a lot of the training is more just for aesthetic and general health purposes, but I have kind of caught the bug being around or in the Olympic training facility and seeing all these athletes training for their respective sports um, has, has pushed me to be a little bit more focused on developing power and rate of force development and some of the training that I'm doing myself. So I've kind of shifted towards more high velocity or power-based movements. I, I haven't quite gotten into the Olympic weightlifting style yet, because I think that there's a lot of tech, technical details that I would need to kind of iron out before I was able to uh, transition to that fully. But looking at things like just uh, weighted squat jumps, uh, you're hanging in power clean, speed deadlifts, some push jerk movements. Um, and, and honestly, like my window for being able to do those type of things is slowly dwindling, like by the hour, probably. So like seeing that and being involved with that, with PGA athletics, it's kind of like, you probably need to capitalize on this before it's gone. Um, but I also, I joined a, um, just really for stress related purposes, I joined an MMA gym, a mixed martial arts gym here in Athens. And I, I believe right around uh, last October, and I started going two to three times per week. And listen, if you are looking for variation in your training, if you, the monotony of weightlifting or cardio activity has gotten to you and you want to mix something up, find a local fighting gym, MMA, boxing, kickboxing. It is not only an incredible workout, but formation. JT, are you yeah, still I can there? still hear you. I think we lost River. Okay. Yeah, I think he just disconnected. Um, that's all right, though. Um, we'll get him back in here in a minute. There he is. 
Yeah, there he is. He's back. I don't know what happened there, River. I think we lost You're you. You're good. Uh, I, uh, I got a notification on my phone. Talking about... Okay. I know you're talking about some MMA. Um, you know, fighting is definitely a, a great thing, having dabbled in some of it myself, being a third-degree black belt in karate and uh, multi-time national champion. Um, it's definitely a great workout. Um, you know, I, I love the fighting scene. Wish I was yeah. still in it. And I, I, just, I guess it's not too late to get back. No, into it. no. Um, if I can do it, you can do it. I think one of the things, though, that is um, kind of the most interesting aspect of it is I, I make fun of myself for not being, you know, maybe the athlete that I used to be still. Um, but I think still there's a part of me deep in the recesses of my mind that thinks maybe I still am a pretty good athlete. And when I walk into this MMA gym, when I go, I haven't been able to go to as many classes as I would prefer recently, just getting adjusted to the schedule this semester. But uh, it's a humbling experience when you walk in to somewhere, a place, a gym, and there is a minimum of five people in there that could absolutely end your life in 30 seconds, right? Like take all of the exercise science knowledge and intelligence that you think you have. And it means nothing when you step into a ring with some of these people because they are just going to rip your head off. <laughs> so um, it, it, it humbled me really quick. Like you think you think you're an athlete, or you think you're this um, you know intellectual walking around and this expert right of exercise science, which is a joke <laughs> that anybody would think that of me. But it put into perspective real quick that all of that information that you have it really doesn't matter if you get involved with uh, some of these people that are actually trained professional fighters. Yeah, man. Fighters are definitely uh, freaks of nature. And, uh, you know, I, I think you're in good company with wanting to, you know, pursue your competitive edge. Definitely with me and JT here who have to, you know, kind of push ourselves because we don't have somebody else pushing us, um, you know, and, and you know, I don't know if you want to get into some Olympic training, but, you know, I, I think it's a great idea. It's a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed, you know, almost putting myself in the hospital. So, <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in some of our last uh, past episodes, we've been talking about sports specific training and obviously basketball and gymnastics are different than what we usually talk about. Um, Cause what we usually talk about centered around the weight room or Olympic training or usually football and, um, you know, now in some ways, basketball and gymnastics are kind of similar and, you know, explosives and cardiovascular endurance, but gymnastics ultimately has a bigger focus on core and calisthenics, um, as far as I know, but, um, River, I'm interested in your general training methods for both of these sports and really interested and the differences between, you know, your preseason and offseason or in-season. Right. Um, so a few things to touch on there. And, and apologies to both of you and to maybe anyone in the audience that's listening. I, I, I'm going to speak uh, in generalities as far as what goes on here at UGA and not delve into too much of the specifics simply because I'm contractually obliged to not <laughs> divulge the state secrets of the Olympic training programs uh, here at UGA. But um for the most part, as you mentioned, uh, Brandon, there are some uh, requirements of sport that are similar between gymnastics and basketball. Right? You think of those sports, you think of high velocity, 
fast paced movements, right? Powerful movements in basketball and in gymnastics. But then the key difference between those two sports and the metabolic demands for each sports is that um, they operate those powerful fast twitch movements that are needed between those two sports are uh, conducted under two different conditions of metabolic demands. So if you think back to your, your basic exercise science or exercise physiology courses, where you look at uh, the metabolic aspects of sport, right? You have your ATPPC, you have your glycolysis and you have your oxidative phosphorylation. Well, starting with gymnastics, right? Uh, if you look at the events involved with gymnastics, they are predominantly performed under conditions of the ATPPC system, excuse me, where it's a lot of highly explosive, all out effort, intensity, um, very high, high, you know, fast twitch movements with ample amounts of rest in between each movement. So uh, if you were to compare that to basketball, for example, right, there's still the equal or more amount of um, those high twitch, high velocity movements required for basketball, but they are conducted under conditions of fatigue. Whereas in gymnastics, you typically get uh, a lot of rest in between movements or, or events to where you can fully recover. So there is a bit of a difference from the metabolic demands of each sport, but from a training perspective, so in the weight room, the programs for each would probably be very similar and are, are very similar here at UGA. And if I were to design a program for each sport, they would be very similar in the fact that they would start with your basic foundations of, you know, general strength and muscular endurance and move towards as you move into that specific prep phase or that in-season training phase to high velocity, um, fast twitch movements using uh, lower weight and performing movements at as high a speed as possible to mimic what's going on in the sport itself. Now, the difference between the two is, the conditioning programs, so outside of the weight room, or if you do your conditioning in the weight room, uh, would be very different between gymnastics and basketball because gymnastics, as I mentioned before, the movements, the, the events that they perform in um, aren't typically conducted in conditions of fatigue, right? Uh, the uneven bars and maybe the floor routine a little bit, uh, but for the most part, um, you know, they get a little bit of intermittent rest in between all out bouts. Whereas in basketball, you know, you're going up for a rebound outlet, sprint down the floor, run to the post, run and set a high ball screen. Like you're, there's all of this high intensity movement that occurs with, you know, intermittent breaks in between. So they're predominantly performing their sport in more of that glycolysis range as opposed to uh, ATPPC. So your conditioning programs in between the two sports would have to be very different. But your weight training programs, as I've seen here at UGA, and as I would probably design myself, if that were my responsibility, would be, you know, incorporating those uh, power-based high-velocity movements that would translate to, to successful performance in that sport. Um, Brandon, you mentioned training specificity uh, in your question. And this is probably something that you guys hit on a lot when you talk about your training or, or weightlifting for football, for uh, powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting competitions. Um, essentially, you train or you, excuse me, you play how you train. So if you train slow, you will play slow. If all of your movements that you perform in a weight room are with high amounts of weight and you are making these athletes very strong because you are you know, inducing hypertrophy and, and, and uh, the weight that they can lift for a specific lift is going up, but they're doing it slowly. So are you making them a better athlete? 
Probably not. You're just making them stronger, which anybody can do, right? Your job is to make them a better athlete, which would in turn cause you or you would want that athlete to be able to lift large amounts of weight, but be able to do it quickly, right? And develop high levels of, of RFD and high levels of power output too. So, um, you know, I've discussed, you know, some of Coach Rucci here at UGA, his philosophy as far as um, working towards training specificity throughout his training macro cycle, right? So as I mentioned before, he's big on in the off season, which we'll probably get into here in a little bit, the off season, really building that foundation, right? Getting that athlete the necessary and required amount of strength that they're going to need, right? Because if you think of the uh, equation for power output, right? Force times velocity. If you can't generate high levels of force, you can't generate high levels of power, right? So uh, in the off season, when you're training less for sports specificity and more for just providing them, you know, that basic foundation, that's when you want to make them strong, right? That's when you want to induce the hypertrophy. That's when you want to really work on improving all of their numbers across the board for all of those compound lifts. And then as that season starts to approach the shift uh, in focus goes more towards, okay, we've made you strong, right? We've made you, uh, you, we provided you with muscular endurance, maybe with some higher volume, sets as well. Now it's time to start using that strength in as quick as manner as we possibly can. Um, where, you know, towards that specific prep phase, if you think of the, uh, the macro cycle distribution, your specific prep and your in-season phase, it's all explosive power centric training, right? Cause everything we do in the weight room needs to be able to be applied uh, in the competitive environment as well. And personally, like stepping away from what I've seen here at UGA, uh, I'm a huge disciple of, of two people in particular, uh, who you might have mentioned briefly before in podcasts, uh, you will probably mention again in your podcast, but Dr. Brian Mann uh, and his velocity-based training principles and also Coach Cal Dietz has triphasic training principles where their entire program, right, everything that they do is designed to build to the point where they're developing speed, power, and rate of force development with all of their athletes. Uh, and essentially the speed of the movement will dictate the type of adaptation, right? So like I said, if you move slow in the weight room with what you're doing, you'll be slow out on the field. Uh, and vice versa. So relating it back to uh, basketball and gymnastics in particular, your program, if you're designing a program for a sport that requires a high level of quick twitch, powerful movements, then your program should reflect that, right? So uh, using your high velocity triple extension movements, squat jump, snatch, all of your Olympic weightlifting variation, lunges, everything is designed to make that athlete as powerful and as quick twitch as they possibly can be. Um, and then I think the last part of your question, Brandon, was maybe the difference between uh, preseason and in-season. I, I won't speak too much of this because I've only ever been involved in-season here at EGA so far, uh, but there's a huge focus on mobility work. Like it is, if not the most important thing we do every day, it is <laughs> right up there, right? Um, as far as really making sure that these athletes are – operating through and, and doing all of their movements through a full range of motion and really working on stabilizing all of those accessory and stability muscles so that they um, can prevent injury. So a lot of TheraBand work, foam rollers, TRX, kettlebells across the board, literally all the tools that you can think of to, to improve and induce mobility. Every training session that I've ever seen here at EGA has started with some form of mobility work for 10 to 15 minutes. It's just, it's that important here. And something that I picked up on that makes sense, right? Because 
like best available, our best ability is availability, right? So uh, why not just take the time to do it in itself? Um, so yeah, yeah, that was a, a great question, Brandon. And hopefully I hit on all the things that you were wanting to, to maybe address there. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I thank you for that. It's, um, I'm glad you talked about mobility because it's something that we definitely stress on all the time, especially with, uh, what we do in the snatch and clean and jerk and learning how to squat ATG, which is super important for Olympic weightlifting, being able to take a, a sheer force in the bottom position with, um, you know, which has a lot of impact on your body and just being able to stand something like that up. Um, you know, thanks for reiterating the fact from somebody who may know a little bit more than, you know, either I definitely me or JT, you know, so, uh, thanks for pushing that once again to our yeah, listeners. To, to so. your point there, River and Brandon, we, we harp on that a lot. And it's something that being out there in the, in the, uh, like corporate world as a personal and fitness trainer, like I see plenty of people skip right over it and it's, it, it can't be stressed enough. Uh, and speaking about stress, you did talk a little bit about your stress monitoring techniques. And, and I know river, we've had some conversations in the past uh, about heart rate variability and other, and those other stress monitoring methods. So I'm just kind of curious if you can get into some of the detail about what methods you use. And I know you, you talked a little bit, uh, about your, your questionnaire that you use with your athletes, but what other hard methods do you use uh, to monitor stress for them? Yeah, and I guess before we, we discuss, you know, I guess, the options that you have as far as stress monitoring and maybe some of the things that I've worked with in the past, um, I'll say this. So for all of you that are either strength coaches now that are working with athletes or maybe your personal trainers, or if you are an aspiring strength coach, or sports scientist, or anything in that field, right? That, that realm of health improvement for exercise. If you aren't doing some form of stress management or monitoring with your athletes, you are doing both yourself and the athletes a disservice, right? You are incredibly behind the times. Um, there are so many options out there for you to choose from that range from highly expensive that are really only available for the highest level training centers with the budget to do so to completely free. Right. So you fall somewhere on that spectrum. If you're a strength coach or a sports scientist and you need to find what best suits you and your athletes, because if you're not doing it, uh, in my opinion, you, you're doing a disservice to your athletes with your negligence and you're not going to be able to produce the best athletes that you possibly can. All right. So when you think of the term uh, stress management, right, what you were doing is you're trying to quantify the amount of stress that an athlete is experiencing both physically and through any other aspects of their life that could be contributing positively or negatively to their adaptations to the training demands that you're putting on them as a strength coach or as a sport coach. Now, when I was at USI, um, pretty low budget, um, production going on there. Uh, the head strength coach, he, he does get a little bit of money to work with, but for the most part at USI division two school, we don't, we don't have the money. We never had the money to, uh, really purchase a, a lot of these highly, um, for lack of a better term, expensive devices that look at things like heart rate variability or external training loads. So what we did was we devised what we call the stress index questionnaire. And we used it uh, predominantly with women's softball, where we, categorize 10 different types of stressors, right? You have your physical stress due to training. You have your financial stress. You have academic stress on down the line. And we created these 10 categories 
that we would have our athletes score on a scale of one to five. And their raw score would indicate, okay, like that's the stress profile for that athlete each week. And one of the strengths to that method is if you think to the physiology of stress, right, it, regardless of what type of stress you're experiencing, be it physical, be it mental or emotional, academic, once your cerebral cortex senses a stress, right, once we pick up like, where our body is being stressed, it kicks off the same reaction. Doesn't matter if it's causing, if that stress is coming from being under a squat bar or if that stress is coming from opening up the mailbox and finding a bill uh, in the mail that you can't pay, right? It's the same reaction, right? Cerebral cortex, ACTH to the, the kidney, or excuse me, to the adrenals. Adrenals produce cortisol, also production of your uh, adrenaline, noradrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, like that happens regardless of what type of stress occurs. So this questionnaire that we devised works to account for all those different types of stresses that an athlete can be experiencing. And um, with that, uh, a couple of stories or anecdotes that I'll share. Um, just in general, you wouldn't believe how many times an athlete won't tell a coaching staff or won't tell a strength coach that they're really struggling in school, right? Like uh, they'll be, you know, struggling in the weight room. Also, they'll be struggling on the field and the coaches are thinking maybe it's an effort thing, or maybe there, there's some type of sports psychology thing that, 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 uh, maybe the athlete doesn't care enough or, or whatever, which is ridiculous because <laughs> athletes typically aren't the type of people to just not care. Right. So uh, we've been able to pick up on, okay, this athlete is indicating their stress score from an academic perspective is terrible week after week. We need to figure out what's going on here. And it starts with just simply asking the question, like, Hey, you doing all right. Like you, you're referencing, you know, your academic stress level is pretty high right now. What's going on? Well, um, you know, I'm having trouble adapting to the, the schedule or whatever, you know, the travel schedule with the academic requirements. And so many times we've been able to address a situation like that where an athlete may be falling behind from a performance perspective due to something completely non-related to performance, right? Which isn't accounted for if you're not looking for certain things like that. Another example, and I won't get into too many details is we picked up on uh, nutritional disorders. So actual eating disorders, through that where maybe there's an issue with uh, perception of body weight, or maybe they are trying to gain weight or vice versa, right? Whatever that we've been able to pick up on with that questionnaire uh, to get that athlete, the right guidance that they need from a nutritional perspective to make sure that they're both fueling themselves from a quantity and quality perspective uh, that they need to, to produce at the highest level. So we started that questionnaire and I actually still run that uh, through them USI where I just do all the, the data, um, I acquire all the data. I log all the data and kind of provide it to the, uh, the staff there for them at USI. The first year we did it and uh, everyone in the audience is going to roll their eyes when I say this, because it's going to sound like I'm taking credit for something that I shouldn't. Uh, so I'll preface this by saying I'm not taking credit for this, but the first year we did it, uh, they actually won the division two national championship, um, which was their first. It was a big deal uh, there at school. And again, I don't know how much um, uh, or what percentage of that success is due to the fact that we were running this stress program alongside their training program. But I can tell you this, we had a pitcher who was a sophomore at the time who we monitored her stress scores to a greater extent than the rest of the team because she was throwing all of our innings. And when the time came for us to perform in regionals and super regionals and the college world series, 
she was unhittable because she was fresh, right? We made sure that she was completely fresh when it was time for her to take the mound. And when you have a pitcher that <laughs> you can't hit, you're going to win a lot of games in softball. And we just happened to roll off. And a lot of other people played well, too. So, again, I'm not going to take credit for it by, by any stretch. But did it contribute? I absolutely believe so. Um, so that's what we've done from a questionnaire perspective. And, again, that's as simple as creating a free Google form logging it on Excel and just putting in the work to track those things long-term. So budget should never be a uh, deciding factor when it comes to whether or not you're going to track your um, athlete stress levels from either an internal or external perspective uh, throughout the competitive season. Um, here at UGA, uh, what I've seen them do, uh, they use a lot of field tests for um, measuring their athlete readiness perspective, or I guess, uh, a way to, uh, to, to judge the stress that an athlete is experiencing is taking a baseline measurement of a field test, like a counter movement jump or a broad jump, and then tracking how that changes over time. So are they uh, maintaining their baseline on their broad jump? Or are they improving it and, and maybe reflecting positive adaptation or are they regressing, which would, you know, imply negative adaptation and it's time maybe to adjust things. So UGA does a lot of field testing here where I've seen, most of the sports teams that are under the Olympic sports umbrella do a lot of counter movement jump testing longitudinally to, to monitor their stress load of their athletes. Um, I touched a little bit on kind of how I got my position here at UGA. Um, so whenever you're using a field test, right, is essentially just a one-off test that, that looks at just physical performance to, to measure the training load or the, maybe the stress load of an athlete. Uh, over time, what, what's been developed are there these new techniques using what's called heart rate variability, which is it in itself probably its own podcast, if not a series of podcasts when it comes to the techniques and the uh, intricacies of the measurement. That's kind of where a lot of my research has been dedicated to here at UGA so far. So I'd be happy to talk maybe in the future on that and dive more deep into to heart rate variability. But with stress monitoring, there's really kind of two ways to do it, right? There is the, either the internal training load or the external training load. So starting with external training load, that's where you would use maybe a GPS type sensor, like a catapult device that would just measure the distance covered in a practice. Heart rate devices can do this as well. So distances covered, the amount of sprints, the amount of time spent in a certain speed zone, like those are all external uh, stress monitoring techniques, which are fantastic. They've been proven to, to be very accurate at uh, allowing you to take a look at what uh, that training load that that athlete is experiencing. With external training loads, what they fail to account for is the individual variation that can occur when two people experience the same training load. So let me, or, or three people, we'll just use this, uh, the three of us as an example. So Let's say we're all three athletes here at one of the sports teams or whatever college you want to hypothetically use. And we're working for a strength coach that goes out and we go and we do the exact same training program, right? We do the exact same number of reps, same weight, same amount of sets. Theoretically, you would think we're experiencing the same training load and we are from an external perspective. But if you're using a GPS device to maybe log the training load of that session, you're failing to account for the fact that JT 
could adapt to that training session positively. Brandon could adapt to it. Not at all. Maybe, you know, cancel out or maybe just a, a net neutral adaptation. Whereas I could experience that stress and not adapt positively at all. And maybe even negatively with an internal training load monitoring device, such as heart rate variability, it cuts out the nuance of looking at uh, or failing to look at individual differences from training stress. So when you look at heart rate variability, there is no uh, way to, I, I guess, neglect the individual variation that can occur when it comes to training stress, right? You're looking exactly at how that athlete is adapting to a training stress and all other stressors as well, either positively or negatively. What my long-term research here at UGA will probably uh, entail is taking an external training load device such as catapult, right? Which gives you all these fancy numbers on all of these uh, parameters that quantify training load and comparing it to direct biometric data from an athlete. So this, this device, this external training load device like catapult is giving me all these numbers and it's telling me that an athlete is being stressed to this extent. Whereas this heart rate variability device is either going to tell me the same thing so that the quantity of the stress implied by the external training load device is similar, or maybe it's different. Maybe that athlete is going to show me, hey, they're not adapting positively. Or uh, when I think that athlete is being stressed out a lot due to this uh, data from the external training device, it, it may not uh, line up perfectly with the, the, the data that, that athlete is providing from an internal perspective. So I think that that's incredibly fascinating. Um, and if if you take only one thing from this podcast, those of you that are listening and, and Brandon the JT as well, I can't emphasize enough the concept of individuality when it comes to your athletes. Right? You cannot expect that all of your athletes will adapt the same way to the same training program. And you have to account for that individual variation. You can do that through questionnaires. You can do that through field tests and you can do that through fancy devices that I've been incredibly fortunate enough to have here at UGA and, and hopefully be able to use uh, with some of our athletes. If you take anything, take that concept with you and that if you're not accounting for the individuality of your athletes and the training that you're giving them, you are doing yourself and the athletes a disservice. River, I think that's a really good point. Um, it's awesome to be able to take these, these data points and be able to get all this stuff collected. Um, but how, how do you distill it down? How do you avoid that paralysis by analysis? Cause you can, you know, you're at a blue collar or blue blue chip school now, and you can get all these fancy tools and have all the numbers you want. But what kind of stuff are you specifically looking for? That is a fantastic question. Anytime you start incorporating technology into anything that you do, it's going to add nuance, right? So it's going to add um, things that you didn't consider and things that you might not need to consider so like with the catapult devices that we work with with some of our sports here it gives you about tw 25 different metrics and you look at the data and like what in the hell am i looking at you know what's what's important or what and really when it comes to either external training load devices like catapult or heart rate variability you need to do your research right? You need to find out what the research shows is the most important metric to look at. So I'm not going to dive too deep into heart rate variability, but they've found over time that there are about a thousand and one different ways to look at heart rate variability and how to quantify it, how to measure it. They've distilled it down to a few different metrics that are the most consistent and the most reliable and the most reflective of the autonomic, autonomic nervous system. 
and whether or not that athlete at that time is more sympathetic or parasympathetic dominant. So it's doing the legwork and doing the reading on when it comes to heart rate variability um, to understand not only what you're looking at, but also what the most important things are to look at and distill it down to, to those bare essentials, like you mentioned. Now, when the, with an external training load device, maybe that doesn't have as much research on it. So if you're using a new device uh, that doesn't have a whole lot of uh, published literature out there, um, really just <laughs> collecting data over time and just continuing to look through it and figure out correlations with certain metrics and performance. I know Coach Rucci has done a fantastic job here with the women's basketball team. So he's used Catapult now. Uh, for a couple of years and he knows whenever he looks at the data he's used it enough and the experience that he's had with the devices it leads him to know which ones are the most important so he ran the data he ran the statistics and he looked at okay when i look at these two metrics and i correlate them to our performance for that week or that day these seem to be the most important at first going in he didn't know that Right. He didn't know it. And he was looking at all these different numbers and metrics and he was trying to figure it out. And he worked with some of the representatives there at Catapult. And over time, he's developed a system in which he can cut out some of the noise. So that's uh, awesome. Like hey, you're giving me all these data points. You're giving me all these metrics when in reality, I only need to look at like two or three of them. So it, it speaks to his intelligence and his experience with the devices that he's been able to do that himself. But for any of you out there also that are maybe looking to include some type of wearable technology or questionnaire or, or whatever into some type of stress monitoring program that you want to design for lack of a better term, it is trial and error sometimes, right? Just being able to look through the data over long periods of time and, and being able to tell your athletes like, Hey, we're getting this new technology in. I want to start doing this, but it may not bear fruit right away, right? You were going to essentially be guinea pigs for me. And over time with you and with the athletes that come after you, if you're a strength coach at a school or something, you can say you're going to benefit the athletes that come after you because you're going to allow me to figure out the best way to use this technology. So I, I hope that that kind of hits on, on your question. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think, like you said, it's, it's really just going to come with experience in whatever sport it is that you're training and being in the field, using your tools uh, and being more familiar with them. Yeah, it's uh River, it's great to see that, um, you know, what you're doing, you're definitely passionate about. Um, I could tell while you were talking there, but, um, you know, maybe for some of us at home, one thing that uh, John North always talks about is training definitely affects people different. And um, it does take time, like you were saying, River, but, um, you know, you can, you can throw people under the same training methods, um, but over time, you know, it, it'll affect people differently. And then you can switch up your training from there. Um, you know, coaches don't be afraid to give your athletes some individuality during training. Yeah, um, And I'll add to Brandon to your, to your point there. I, I think another point that I wanted to make before we move on is, is with this, uh, with any type of technology that uh, measures training load, right? It is not designed to dictate your entire program, right? You, as a strength coach, as a sports sciences professional, you should have the intelligence to be able to put together a highly effective program, right? What that data shows and what heart rate variability from, from my perspective and how I will use it hopefully moving forward is if it's going to give me 
what I need to know whether or not to hit the gas or hit the brakes, right? These This athlete that I'm working with or this collection of athletes are giving me signs of positive adaptation to where I can say, okay, this program that I'm using that I designed is not only working, but they are showing signs of positive adaptation and they are responding to their stress well. If you are using your data and you're, it's showing you that maybe they're not, maybe there is negative adaptation, they're not responding to your training stimulus well, it's time to hit the brakes. It's time to adjust. And you can't, you, you can't operate under the old school strength coaching mentality of, well, this is what I plan. We're just going to go ahead and do it. And to hell with, you know, what these numbers are showing me. Right. So that's, that's how I, I view any metric of training stress. Okay. Time to hit the gas, time to hit the brakes. And, and, and from there you adjust. Yeah, that's a great philosophy there, River. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit more on uh, maybe physical stress. Stress, um, you know, definitely in the sports of weightlifting, basketball, gymnastics. There's a um, great impact on the on the body and the joints from you know the constant running, jumping, and of course sticking the landing in gymnastics. Um, what kind of rehabilitation work? and injury prevention do you guys utilize for your athletes? Uh, so from a rehab perspective, I can't speak too much on that because I don't get too much time with the sports medicine or the athletic training staff. But in my opinion, it's always prehab over, over rehab, right? So I have so much respect for uh, professionals that are in the athletic training field or physical therapy or anything that is in that sports medicine domain. But as a strength coach or as a sports scientist that works with uh, improving performance, your goal, one of your primary goals should be to make the lives of your athletic trainers and your physical therapists and your physicians as boring as possible. Meaning that you are doing everything that you can to prevent your athlete from having to go to them for rehab in the first place. So that's why I mentioned, I've been so impressed here at UGA with the amount, sheer amount of time that is spent just doing prehab work. I mentioned every session that I've ever been to with, with all of the teams that I've seen. So not only basketball and gymnastics, but literally every team that I've ever seen use the, the Olympic training facility, they're starting their program with some type of mobility work, whether it's some type of active warm up, working through a full range of motion with, you know, uh, the, uh, so your TheraBands, as I mentioned before, your foam rollers, kind of the active uh, facilitation of, of, of uh, you know, kind of engaging the muscles that are going to be used for a training session. It is so important down here. And for me, like, I, I guess I felt a little naive when I made that realization, like, oh, they're doing this a lot. That makes sense. Like, why am I not doing this myself kind of thing? Like, again, it's one of those things where you think you're smart and then you see something else going on. You're like, okay, you're not that smart because you should have realized this um, beforehand. So I'm, I'm big and they're big here at UGA. Like I said, prehab before rehab. And if you're putting in the time now, again, are there going to be injuries that you are not going to be able to prevent? Of course, right. You, you can't prevent when an offensive lineman gets buckled from behind and you know, their, their ligaments and their knee go out because, you know, they got hit or they got rolled on, but can you prevent a large amount of your non-contact soft tissue injuries by working on posterior chain, by working on improving the strength of those stability, those deceleration muscles uh, of working on those muscles that are designed uh, and the tendon stiffness to absorb impact like on the gymnast sticking the landing can you do all those things of course of course it just takes the 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 effort 
and the programming time to incorporate that into whatever training program that you're doing. So Brandon, when you, when you mentioned, you know, uh, kind of the importance of it, or, or maybe ask about what I've seen down here, how important is it? It's incredibly important and they're doing it literally every day. And, and, um, one of the sessions that I sit in on sometimes uh, the gymnastics team, they usually compete on Friday evenings, Friday nights, either earlier or late. And every Saturday in which they uh, follow a competition, they come in and they essentially have like a 45 minute, just active stretching uh, mobility session that is conducted by coach Rucci. He puts them through an entire routine that he kind of developed himself using TheraBands, using foam rollers, uh, using, uh, we have these uh, PVC type poles where we are working kind of scapular rotation and, and upper body flexibility as well. Um, so he, he has made it a point with his teams in particular and, and all the other strength coaches here as well. I've made it a point. Okay. We're going to be really focused on preventing as much injury as possible just through some of the, you know, the, the work that we do mobility work before we even touch a weight here um, for this training session. Yeah, thanks again, River. Um, just I love the fact that you're always talking about mobility in this in this podcast. Um, definitely, just because it's once again something that we stress, and um, you know, it, it's I'm glad you're here to be able to talk about some of the things you guys do because I definitely need to hit on it myself. But you know, uh, uh, yeah, again. to go just <laughs> one step further, Brandon, you and I have talked a little bit um, about. Caldeet's implementing Louis Simmons repetition method for his athletes. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about this. I think it was last week um, where Louis has this belief that the competitive lifts and he's powerlifting coach for those of you who don't know um, the competitive lifts are like maybe 20% of what they train. Everything else is repetition of where they're weak. Uh, and the example that I use, because it's really common, you have a hard time locking out your bench press, you need to work your triceps. So they'll do hundreds of repetitions on triceps. And not only does that build that strength in that weak area, but it also helps to prevent the, the ligament and soft tissue damage to the elbows, uh, where if you're weak there, you're going to fail there and you're going to put a lot of excess stress there. Um, so I think it's really important to continue to utilize those tools and make sure that you're not, you know, doing, doing your athletes a disservice by not keeping them healthy. Um, so I've been kind of utilizing that kind of thing as a recovery or like end of workout cool down where like um, utilizing bands and stuff like that to press and do, do like extension, leg curls, that kind of thing. Um, so I was just kind of curious to go from that point, what kind of recovery tools do they have access to down there at UGA river? Uh, well, <laughs> I guess, uh, this answer should preface by the fact that, that UGA, uh, I am incredibly fortunate to be a part of a program in a school that operates in the 1% when it comes to their resources and their finances and the, the toys essentially that they had to play with when it comes to their uh, sports performance. So my answer with what is done here and what is used here may not be applicable for the other 99% of strength coaches, personal trainers. Um, you know, I've seen 
all manner of cool things used from a recovery perspective, um, just in, in, in passing glance, you know, cause I haven't been able to really work with a lot of the athletic training staff, but you're talking like your game ready compression ice devices, which are starting to become more popular, but you know, personal massages, they have masseuses here, you know, dry needling techniques, cupping techniques. Um, I believe the football facility has a cryo chamber. So some really high level expensive type of, recovery stuff, which is awesome, right? Like, again, I, I can't speak highly enough about um, how fortunate I am to just be somewhat involved with it and, and just be able to see it. But I will say this, I'm a firm belief that all of that stuff, if you can afford it, is awesome. None of it matters if you're not on point with two things, and that's your sleep and your nutrition, right? All of that is simply accessory. If you are if you're like me and maybe you're not getting, you know, your recommended seven or eight plus hours of sleep as an athlete, um, per night, all of those recovery techniques and methods and tools and stuff, it, it doesn't mean a damn. It doesn't it, it, it sleep what they've just in my research that I've done with heart rate variability. There's so, so many important things. And I'm not, I'm not breaking news here when it comes to the importance of sleep. Right. But when your body shifts to that parasympathetic dominance, as you get into that deep REM sleep, that's when all of your positive adaptation occurs. That's when you are getting stronger. That's when you are getting faster. That's when you are improving or transitioning. Maybe some of those uh, slow twitch fibers and more fast twitch or more hybrid uh, fibers that, that you seek whenever you're trying to develop power athletes. So uh, when it comes to recovery like if you're asking me okay well what, what's your important recovery tool or what's your what's your favorite what's your well, what's the one that you would buy if you could buy any i would just say quality sleep like consistent quality sleep and in addition to that nutrition right and again I'm not breaking news here but the nutrition staff the sports nutrition staff here at uga very very high level um extensive as well i actually took a class last fall that was a um, I think it was titled drugs and sport class but looking at different nutritional supplemental interventions uh, to improve sports performance and we had one of the uh, head sports nutritionists here at UGA and it was Jana Heitmeyer come and lecture and she talked about all of the things that they're doing from a sports nutrition perspective with all of their athletes ranging from the division one sec football players all the way to the equestrian team here that we have, you know, which is unique to UGA. Every one of those athletes is getting some form of nutritional guidance. Should they seek it here at UGA? And maybe if, even if they're not seeking it. Right. And she talked on some of the supplements that are her favorite from a recovery perspective. She's big on uh, omega threes, right. For overall anti-inflammation for brain health, uh, they use it a lot for concussion recovery here and implementing omega threes into the diet. She's a big fan of turmeric or turmeric or however you pronounce it um, from an anti-inflammatory perspective. A lot of her athletes have responded really well from a soreness perspective using that supplement. And she went on and I'd have to go back through my notes, but there were so many different things that they're doing here at UGA from a nutrition perspective that is for, for most people don't have access to. Right. So when it comes to your nutrition or if you are a head strength coach or working in the sports science field and you have athletes that are maybe asking questions like, Hey, from a nutrition perspective, like maybe wanting to add supplements or add things like, like that, that are accessory, boil it down to this. Like, are you consuming enough calories to positively adapt to the training that you're doing in the weight room and in practice? If not, then you're wasting your time because you are not going to get better without that. 
right? That is a key foundational piece. And also the quality, right? You need to be consuming high quality nutrients. So JT, from a, a rehab or an injury recovery perspective, you can have all of these cool things that we do. If your sleep and nutrition isn't on point, if it's not something that you emphasize, you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money because all of those things are, are just supposed to be added to that foundation. Of I really love that answer. And I know it was kind of a backwards way to set you up for that question. Um, but that's really what I wanted you to talk about was the importance of sleep and nutrition. And yeah, you, you can have all the fancy tools in the world. You can have, you know, your Theragun, your cryo chamber and all that stuff. But if you're not sleeping consistently, the hours that you need, you're just, you're, you're wasting your time when it comes to training. Um, yeah. And you think, you think back to what are we doing when we're training our athletes, right? I, I, I like to operate under the condition or the belief that any idiot with a whistle and a stopwatch can make somebody tired, right? You can make somebody exhausted, but are you making them a better athlete? Right. And if your goal is to make them a better athlete and you don't understand that the, all of your positive adaptations occur when you're in a condition of rest, when you're in a condition of that parasympathetic tone, which occurs when you sleep. If you're not emphasizing the importance of sleep, then you might as well just stop doing what you're doing and go into a different profession because you're neglecting the most important part of why we train. We train to adapt. We adapt when we sleep. Right? We adapt when we're at rest. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I think I don't, don't mean to devalue all of these tools that maybe we have here at UGA, but I also don't want to, uh, to overlook the most important part of why we do everything that we do. And that is to adapt, right? And you can't do that unless you're getting the proper recovery. You're absolutely which right. You gotta have that foundation sleep. before you start, start adding all your extra tools on there. Uh, Brandon, do you have any other questions for River? Um, not really. I just, uh, you know, going back to what you you guys were talking about with sleep and nutrition, you know, John North always says you got to sleep, you got to eat. Um, you know, you, you look back on his time at California strength and, you know, those guys obviously were freaks of nature. Um, but him and Donnie Shanker would go out to KFC twice a week, just eat and they would slam, you know, hundreds of wings at Hooters and stuff. Granted, they could have eaten, you know, a lot better, but you know, they were training two to three times a day, seven days a week. So, you know, you, you got to get the calories in, you got to get the sleep in. So, you know, um, yeah, we're, we're at about 67 minutes. So river, uh, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Um, you know, there's some really cool insights about what you do and, um, what's going on down there at UGA. And I'm sure we're going to see them at the, top of the sports world hey so, yeah uh so. keep an eye out we're at now we are um trying to get on track from a gymnastics perspective we've been dealing with some injuries so uh if you if you haven't ever watched an sec gymnastics meet, definitely tune in on the sec network maybe when we're on but in hey, women's basketball we're slotted right now i believe is a three seed so um we are doing pretty well so far and hopefully we can uh, keep that up. And hopefully here in time, maybe we'll be able to, uh, I'll be able to speak more about some of the work that I'm doing from maybe monitoring our, our training loads here at UGA. So uh, as I referenced earlier, it was awesome to be on with you guys. I know you said I was the first guest, so hopefully I was able to set the bar um, 
kind of high, right? So you couldn't just have a, a plumber or something on next time that would come in and, and give more insight than I was able to. But also for anyone that's listening to this uh, podcast, um, if you're interested in, in, if you're in this field right now as an undergrad or as a graduate student, or if you're maybe looking to get into this field, if you're even younger than that, um, definitely don't hesitate to reach out. You can catch me on any social media platform, be it Instagram or Facebook. Reach out if you have any questions on anything. I, I am incredibly passionate about this field, as hopefully I was able to imply with this discussion. But I'm also incredibly passionate about passing it forward or passing it on to those who will come after me or those who will uh, be in the profession at the same time as me. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out because I'm more than welcome with answering whatever questions that you may have about what I do or what um, you may be able to do in the future too as well. So thanks again, guys. And uh, best of luck to y'all. Thank you. Um, I do have one final question for you. When are we going to get an Olympic training session in? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I've I've gotten incredibly proficient at using Zoom as an instructor here at UGA (laughs) for the last uh, couple of, of semesters. So, uh, I don't know when I'll be able to make a trip up to Indy, but uh, hopefully maybe next fall we'll be able to have some football games uh, here in person that we can attend. Come on down. I'll um, show you around Athens, take you to a game. It's an experience that if you've never been to an SEC football game and Vanderbilt doesn't count, sorry, Vanderbilt. Um, if you've never been to an SEC football game, uh, it's an experience that you need to have before you go. And I know that that sounds morbid, but come on down. We'll get in a, a training session. You and oh, Brandon yeah, both. Man. We'll, we'll, we'll be sure we'll to make it down too. there. Uh, once again, thank you, River, uh, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Um, you know, uh, who you got in the Super Bowl? We got to know before we go. I think I would be breaking like seven laws of uh, football. Um, I don't know, uh, football intelligence by betting against Tom Brady. Uh, but I'm going to go Chiefs <laughs> in the points just because I hate that guy. And you would think, like, when I talked about when I talked about my competitive life and my perfectionist, like, I would enjoy Tom Brady. But I grew up in Indiana, man. Like, I'm not a Colts fan, but I live with Colts fans. And if there is public enemy number one or two, it's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. So I've never been able to get on – board with that so i'm gonna take the chiefs in the um board. yeah brandon you, you got a pick uh i myself am a tom brady hater so river as you I pointed out i think it's impossible well. to pick against brady so i'm gonna take the bucks and go against the grain here <laughs> <laughs> And you probably you probably just made a lot of people money. Hopefully, I probably just made a lot of people lose money. So put that on whatever evaluation. All right, guys, way. we'll we'll go ahead and sign it off here. Um, hopefully, you guys are all able to take something from this episode and learn something from our our good friend River Van Zant. Um, remember to get back out there, put your nose in the grindstone. Stay at work, um, ask questions of your strength and conditioning coaches, learn what you can do to become a better athlete, and do some reading. Always read. Please, please read. If you have any questions for us, you can reach us via Instagram or via email. We can link all that stuff in the, in the description of the episode. And as always, go out there, hook, grip it, and rip it. <laughs>